One, two, three. Good morning, everybody. We're getting ready to go live. We are live. We want to welcome everybody that's watching us around the world and all of you that will uh, watch this podcast sometime where else in the world. And we're thankful you join us today. Let's stand to our feet. <clears throat> it's the day the Lord has made. He done a good job, didn't he? Yes. And we're supposed to be glad and rejoice in it. <clears throat> I want to read to you from, psalm, from a psalm before we go in our praise and worship time. And it's just a reminder of just how good God is. Now, I know we live in a world that's insane. I think I got... I th the rest of you ain't figured that out yet, huh? But we have a God who's perfectly in control. Amen? He is our buckler and our shield. He knows our ways before He formed us. And He's got everything under control. He's bringing this world to an expected end that He has planned for. And everything's going to go according to His plan. The psalmist said, this is a psalm of David, said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Amen. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. All right, here they go. Who forgives all your iniquities. Amen. Who heals all your diseases. Amen. Now you notice how he said all. I like that, don't you? Let's try that again. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. Here they come. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Amen. Who redeems your life from destruction. Amen. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Amen. Who satisfies your mouth with good things. Amen. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen. Everybody over 55 said, amen. really amen, right? Here's what he does. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. Amen. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. Amen. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, Amen. nor punished us according to our iniquities. Amen. For he has, as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west... So far has He removed our transgressions from us. That is good news. Amen. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise this morning. He's worthy. Let's just close our eyes for a moment here. Lord, we're so thankful that you've not left us to ourselves. You said you were the very present help in the time of trouble. And even those who walk in darkness, Lord, if they would just turn their focus to you, you said many are the afflictions of the righteous, but you shall deliver them out of them all. We have great confidence and trust in you, Lord, because your plan is coming to pass. The things you prophesied thousand years ago, we watched them come to pass on our news channels. From, from Israel becoming a nation again when yes. most people said that would never happen in 1948 and when Jerusalem was given back over to Israel in 1967 another prophetic word from one of your prophets of old the stage is being set Lord we should be excited you told us all this trouble was coming but you told us to look up for our redemption draws nigh let's give him praise this morning amen amen Children's church is dismissed. You can go through that door in the next building. The rest of you can stay here. We have a nursery next door as well if you have a child.
If you have a child that's getting out of whack, take them over there. Or take them over there. Uh, let's, let's see. I'm glad you're here because I've probably got as much confirmation from this message for those of you that are watching. Uh, and those that are here in the building this morning as any message I've ever preached. So I want to share with you this morning. I want you to go to First uh, Peter if you have your Bibles. First Peter chapter two. Am I? There's been uh, three people been healed the last couple of weeks. Myself being one of them of a condition I'd had for three years. Yeah. Amen. And I'm so thankful. And my wife, I couldn't drink this before. Now my wife's made me a new concoction. Uh, it's a pineapple and a cup of cherry juice and an inch of uh, ginger root and turmeric and honey. I feel like a new man. I couldn't have drunk that before. We put a couple of bat wings in it too, like Granny did off of uh, <laughs> We did not put any bat wings in that. But that concoction sounds good, don't it? It's not as good as it sounds. <laughs> if you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. I just want to read a few verses here and then I'll go a couple other places. Uh, Jesus giving us the backdrop here of this chapter is that he's telling us how to come under authority and learn, and he's going to take us to himself. So Jesus is telling us here in verse 22 of First Peter chapter 1, after he says this about us coming into authority and, and being able to suffer, it speaks this about Jesus. And I want to really lift him up this morning because I want to show you some things that the Holy Spirit has really been driving me. He started this years ago, and he's starting to take me into another level with this today or in the last little season. Uh, in verse 22, says, speaking of Jesus, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who then was reviled, did not revile and return. And then he suffered. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. One of the most outstanding restraints of the Lord was when they were saying everything lying on him, beating him, roughing him up, falsely accusing him, and him not to say anything. I mean, you talk about restraint. You talk about spirit control there. Because he was the Lord of everything. He could have shut everything down at that very moment. And so he, he, the only thing we see where his power was really displayed before the resurrection during that season, certainly with his restraint, but when they came to get him in the garden, in most of your Bibles it says they were looking for him, and he, he didn't say, I am he. Now most of your Bibles have he there. Some of the newer ones probably don't, because he is italicized. He didn't say, I am he. He didn't say, I'm the guy you're looking for. He said, I am. And when he said that, he was referring to back in Exodus when God said to Moses, you go tell them that the great I am sent you. What he was saying to them, you've just come and found God. And that's why all the soldiers fell down. They couldn't stand up. He wasn't just giving them information. He was expressing his power and authority by being the great I am. He was the great I am. They said before that, they said, hey, we know about Abraham and all this. Moses, these, those are our guys. He said, before Moses and Abraham was, I am. So he's the great I am. Now, God is sovereign. Let me draw this up here for you. God is sovereign. And that cannot be said about any other being except the Godhead. Every other being, animal, person, angel, is created. God is sovereign. That means God exists internally. In other words, God doesn't need anything outside of himself to exist. That's not true of any other creature. We have to have his oxygen that he produces. We have 
to have the dirt that he made and all the water he provides, the rain, all that. God exists internally. So that means he needs nothing outside of himself to exist. That's what makes the beauty of salvation so wonderful. God gave us a second chance. Adam and Eve came in the garden. We don't have any stones to throw at Adam and Eve for blowing it. We've seen enough out of our own life that we would have blown it too. So no stones to throw at them. But God gave us a chance through Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve blew it. And God gave us a second chance, right? He said, okay, and this was planned before Adam and Eve because the Bible says Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. Because when God decrees something, it may not manifest itself. And remember this thought as we come full circle. It may not manifest itself in our realm of time, but God exists outside of time. That's why he can see the end from the beginning. Let me just use this circle to show you that God sits on top of the circle, all right, and he can see all the way around the circle. And so time began here with Adam, and it's going to come to an end out here. We, we don't argue that things went on behind Adam. I argue that, that that's eternity. And when these scientists try to date eternity, they're flawed because that was all proven flawed with just one little event here in America in the 80s uh, with Mount St. Helens. They couldn't no longer count on the layers of rocks and things to determine how old something was. So I, I don't argue that God was back in here doing whatever he done. What I argue is you can't date that because you're going into the space where there's no time. Time was created for man, right? That's, we have days and hours, seasons and changes to remind us of where we're at and who's in charge. And God gave us all that and he started man's plan here with Adam, we call him, or in the Hebrew he's called Adam, red earth, red clay. God made him out of the clay. He, put, he breathed his spirit in him. He put the ha or the breath of life in him. Now, when you get over to Abraham and Sarai, they were raised up in pagan lands, right? And so God called them out, a type of salvation. He calls them out of that paganism, out of that false God culture, gives them a new start, gives them a new life, changes their name. He changes Abram's name to Abraham, if you're from Kentucky, but it sounds like in the Hebrew, it's Abraham, Abraham. Sarai went to Sarah. Because God breathed life into them, he gave them a new start. Every single being that's ever come through Adam and Eve, that's ever been born, needs the ha of God in their life. You need that life breathed into you. Religion is not a thing where you fit it into your life. It's a place where we become disciples of the one who rose from the dead. Can somebody give him praise? That's why Christianity don't keep you from being successful and enjoying life. Christianity just keeps your focus on the thing that's most important. And that's Jesus Christ and eternal life. The Bible, Jesus said, what if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul? What profit is that? Religion, don't put Christianity in with religion and politics and all that stuff. Christianity is all about relationship. Jesus Christ is putting together a bride. And he wants you and I to be a part of that. Amen. And then he goes on to say here in this passage, he says, By whose stripes you were healed. Let me back up. He was reviled, did not revile, return. He suffered, did not threaten back. He who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. Everybody say, were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls, or the porter would be a better word there, the porter, the gatekeeper. Now, what happens before you get saved, you're your own gatekeeper. You let in and out, things in and out of your life by deciding. 
to be the porter, right? The porter is a big deal in the Scripture in the Bible times, and we still use that same kind of uh, rule today. There are porters at gates. We don't call them porters. We may call them night watchmen or whatever. But there are porters set up in certain sections to let you in and out of certain areas, all right? So when you're not saved, when you're not redeemed, when you're not born again, is what Jesus called it, when you've not come to Christ and surrendered your life to Him, you're your own porter. So you decide what comes in and out of your corral or your gate. Now, when you get saved, what the apostle's trying to say, there's a whole, I could preach on this for a few weeks, but the apostle's trying to say, now Jesus is your porter. He decides. Remember the soul and the mind, the, the soul and the spirit and the body. There's a whole teaching on our YouTube channel about the difference between the soul and the spirit and the body, how those three vessels work together to create this being. And, and so what Jesus now is doing, he's saying, I want to be in control of what comes in and out of your life, not you, right? That's what Christianity is about. You now relinquish the control of what comes in and out of your life to Jesus Christ. You let him make those decisions. Now, he's, he's going to be able to bless you far more than you can bless yourself. And here's the way Jesus does. He blesses without all the baggage. Amen. I tell you, the Lord is faithful, and He can do far above what we can think or ask. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew chapter 14, I'm going to show you a problem. I'm, I'm going to title this message. I don't usually title them, but I'm going to title this one. I'm getting more prone to do that. Looking back on my faith. Looking back, and I want you to say the same thing. Looking back on my faith. And, and, and in Matthew chapter 14, verse 15, I want to read you something. It says... Uh, Verse 15 says, When it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is the deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, they didn't have anything. But he's challenging their faith here, right? That's how faith works. It's the evidence of things not seen, Paul said. If faith is something you can see and work out in yourself, that's not faith. God brings us into moments in our lives where we have to trust in Him, where there's no other out except for Him. And that's what's happened to these guys. They're going to be told to do something they don't physically have the means to do. And He said to them, we have here five loaves and two fish. Now we know He fed thousands here. And they said, bring them here to me. Then He commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass, and He took the five loaves and two fish, looking up to heaven. He blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. The disciples gave it to the multitudes. Uh, so they ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. Must have been the disciples' reward for stepping out in faith. Now, here's the first thing I want to point out about this. This is not the point I want to drive today. Whatever you have, bring it to the Lord. Amen. See, we live in a culture that says, that's all we got left. You better hang on to it. And the Lord says, let me have it. Let me show you what I can do with it. The widow woman in the Old Testament, she had one bit of meal left in the barrel. And when the prophet come by... He's either an egotistical preacher off the TV or he, he was giving her the chance of a lifetime. And she was given the chance of the lifetime. She, he comes in and says, I'm hungry. She said, well, we just have enough meal for me. They were in famine at that time. They said, we just have enough meal for me and my son to eat a, a dinner and then we plan on dying. What a wonderful outlook. And the prophet says, in arrogance, some might say, and giving her the opportunity of a lifetime, he says, make me something first. And I don't know what I was going through her head at that moment, but they were living in a famine and they were out of food after this meal. And she's going to, feel, feel a, she's going to feed a stranger, quote unquote, 
before she does her own son. Those are the tests of faith, just like Abraham when he went up to Mount Moriah. When God told him to go to Mount Moriah, he, he's, his son's as good as dead from the day one. It took him three days' journey, which is a type of Christ, right? He was in the, in the grave for three days. When they got to the foot of the mountain, Abraham was committed to doing what God wanted. That's how much he loved God. And so he lays the wood on, on Isaac's shoulder, which is another picture of Christ, right? The cross laid up on his shoulder. And most theologians believe that Isaac was old enough at this time because his father, Abraham, lived to be 180 years old, I think it was, 160. And, and he, most theologians believe Isaac was old enough, old enough at this time to overpower his own father. Right? I don't want to fight my sons now. Although if I keep drinking that juice, you better watch out. And I'm going to tell you something else. I quit playing basketball a few years after college. I quit drinking this juice. I'm going to take some of you young boys out there and put a whooping on you. That didn't have nothing to do with the message. So Abraham is headed to Mount Moriah. I found this out in some of my research in the last couple of weeks. Moriah is the same root as, as Jireh. They use the same root. So when God told him to send, take his son up there, Abraham was committed. He was so committed that the Lord stopped him. And he already had a lamb caught on the thicket over there. Somebody say, God's already got a lamb to take care of your sins. And so Abraham was able to say, but what Abraham was saying was, this is the place of provision right here. There's one coming after me. That's what David was saying in court of Jewish history by putting that head out on Golgotha, out Mount Moriah, where they were all at, saying there's one coming after me that's going to crush the head of the serpent. He's going to deliver you from your sins and give you eternal life. We have provision. Can you say amen? So they're, they're, they're getting their due, and he says, and uh, immediately Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side. While he sent the multitudes away, he, he, when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain to, himself to pray. And the evening came, and he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. You know the rest of the story of the widow. She had enough meal to last her the whole famine. So if you take your little bit and offer it to God, he can do much with it. Can you say amen? amen. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to him, walking on the sea. He went to him. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is the ghosts. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Be of good cheer. Right? Now this is a powerful word here that we don't get the meaning of in English. God said, Be of good cheer. Or Jesus said to his disciples, and he used this five times in the New Testament, this Greek word. This Greek word is tharseo. Most of you probably know it by now if you've been around at all. It's the word that we translate cheer. Tharseo. Tharseo. What's happening here is Jesus is not saying to these guys, you know, cheer up a little bit, get happy. That's not what he's saying. What he's doing is there is, when he used this word, there is a divine impartation, and some of you have experienced this, of courage. That's what's going on. There is a, I ain't going to try to spell courage, I'm looking, my, my mouth's running faster than my brain's talking. This, the, 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 what Jesus is doing is he's opening these guys up and depositing some courage and strengthening some of them. So when he says, be of good Tharseo, he's not asking them to cheer up a little bit. He's actually imparting faith and strength into them. He's asking them to be courageous, to come out with courage. And now I'm going to take you somewhere. We're going to have to, the stewardess is going to come by in a minute. We're going to buckle our seatbelts. 
when we take off. And the Peter answered him and said, Lord, if you command me to come to you on the water, he said, come. And when Peter had come down the boat, he, uh, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was bolsterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and called him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, what was the, the, this is easy for most of us. As long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was fine. When he started taking his eyes off of Jesus and looking at the trouble or the circumstances, things started going the wrong way. Everybody can testify to that in this church. Amen. We can all testify to that. You keep your eyes on Jesus, everything will go good. Uh, seek you first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6. All these things will be added unto you, right? But if you get your eyes off on other things, like stick man does from time to time, then you'll find yourself in trouble. Now, when we, this is the design that God has. He wants you to pursue Him, right? And, and as you pursue Him, He will make provision for you, and He'll bring provision for you uh, in, at the right time. So stick man, we're going to call him saved. He's been born again. He's in the path. He's low on hair, as some of us are. And so he's starting this path, and he's on the way to God, right? And God is going to bring provision. He is Jehovah Jireh. He will bring provision into stick man's life at the right season, at the right time. That's the way you do with your children. If you have a child, and that child's three years old, you don't hand it a pistol. You bring provision and introduce things. You don't hand the keys to the riding lawnmower to a four-year-old and say, get out there and get with it. You bring that stuff in to their life as they can. Now, the problem with our culture and the world at large, not just America, is that we don't want to wait for nothing. That's why somebody can go bananas in a drive-thru after waiting three or four minutes. Right? So, Stickman's problem is this. Stickman may see stick woman out here. Well, God's working on stick woman in her path, Right? And instead of stick man waiting on stick woman to intersect and him to, them to meet, stick man leaves the path and goes after stick woman. And now what's he doing? He's put himself at risk. Because God is beautiful at timing. Yeah. We are not. We stink at it. Yeah. And, and God don't wear a watch. I've seen him one five times for Christmas. It always comes back. <laughs> he is beautiful at it though, isn't he? He's beautiful at timing. We're not. We mess things up. And that, think about before you were born again. You did a really good job running the show, didn't you? But God brings us to the place where he's bringing us to intersect with provision that he has in our life, all right? And so these guys, as long as we keep our eyes on God, he will bring things into us at the right season, and there'll be a blessing and not a curse. When we leave the path to go hunt on our own and to do our own thing, that's when trouble comes in, Right? And we have all can identify with that. Now, let me take you to John. Let's go to uh, uh, John. Excuse me, Mark chapter 6. I want to show you a little something Mark says here that, that Matthew doesn't say. And it's important as I try to drive home what I'm getting ready to take you on. Now, faith has its authority. You can go back and write these down and listen to it again, or you can write them down now. Faith has its authority in, number one, the truth of God's Word. Heaven and earth will pass away, and God's Word will, will always stand. Everything you see is going to be gone someday, but His Word and everything that's built on His Word, which includes our lives, all right? Number one, faith has its authority in, God, in the truth of God's Word. Number two, faith has its authority in God's acts of strength and power. There's no question 
that God is still all-powerful. He still does miracles. He still does all. All right? He's, he's in charge. What's the problem? The problem is we're not having faith to receive the things of God because we got too many other options in this culture. If, uh, I like what uh, uh, Smith Wigglesworth said, who was a, one of the most powerful preachers uh, a century ago, who said, we got one eye on God, and if he don't come through, we got one eye on something else. That's not faith. That's, that's doing what James said. Let the guy that wavers don't think he's getting anything from God. Right? That's not how we're supposed to live. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. One of the most beautiful things about King Josiah was, they said, he, they said we're going to go get some help. We're going to get some chariots and horses from Egypt. He said, no, we're not. We're going to trust the Lord. We ain't going to lean on people. We're going to trust the Lord. And then the next thing he says, and the third one is God's, the, the faith has its authority in God's faithfulness and long-suffering. That's what it does. Faith has its authority in the truth of God's Word, in the acts of God's power and strength, and in His faithfulness and long-suffering. That's where faith can lay hold of and hold on. Now, I'm, I'm sharing that with you for a reason. Let's look at Mark chapter 6. Let's go to verse 45. Mark chapter 6, verse 45. This same story that we just came out of says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. And he went to the and set the multitude away. And when they sent him away, he departed to the mountain to pray. All right? Now when the evening came, the boat was on the middle of the sea and he was on the land. He saw them straying and rolling for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed by passed him by, and when they saw him walking on sea, they supposed it was a ghost, cried out, for they all saw him were troubled, but immediately he talked with them and said to them. So he don't talk about Peter in this instance, but notice what he says. Be of good Tharseo, or cheer again, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed themselves beyond measure, and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves. Because their heart was hardened. Now how do you live in fear when you just got on a boat and right before that you saw Jesus feed thousands with a few fish and a few pieces of bread? See, your life and my life is designed to move forward every time we see God do things. These guys are on the boat. What a miracle! I mean, you take a couple of dinners from Long John Silver's and feed 5,000. Usually that didn't count the women and children. So some theologians believe he could have fed up to fifteen or 20,000 in this one setting. Now you think about that. You've just seen that, and now you're going to be afraid. And Jesus said, basically he's saying here in this passage, he's saying, they didn't get it. But how many of us don't get it? You saw God come in the middle of the night and your child's fever was 105 and he brought it down. You saw God do certain things, miracle after miracle, and then the next time the devil shows up, you're going to get in the corner and run and hide. Those things ought not be. Tell your neighbor, say, those ought not be. What if you had fed your children for 15 years and one day they got off the bus? I know they don't hardly ride buses anymore, but let's just say they got off the bus. Well, let's just put it. Your child come home in an Uber from school. Or lift, poor yellow cab, whatever. They show up to the house and they're on the front porch weeping. And they say to you, uh, 
And you go outside and you're their parent and you say, why are you crying for? And they say, well, we come home, but we just didn't know if you would feed us today or if you'd let us in or if we would have a bed to sleep in. After 15 years, how would you feel as a parent? Think about that. Think about your children after you're for them over and over and over. And then the next time a little hiccup comes, they are out there questioning whether you're going to take care of them or not. Now think about that in terms of our relationship with God. And this word here, <clears throat> poro, is the Greek word for the word harden. Poro. And we translate that harden in the English. And he says, For they had not understood about the laws because their heart was hardened. Now, I'm going to say this. I want everybody to hear this around the world, to get the podcast, whatever. It's time for the Christians to quit throwing God under the bus. You have a God, we just read that Psalm 103 before we got started. You have a God that has made provision for every single one of our problems. He's made it. The cross, I'm going to say this to you, the cross has solved all of our problems. Did you say that? I, ex I did exactly say that. The cross has solved all my problems. If I'm right with God, amen, give him praise. It solved it all, and I'm going to prove it to you in just a minute. Now, what, what's changed about me is this. When I get up in the morning, if I'm praying for healing for me or somebody else, you know what the first thing I do? I did it this morning. I got up, I was praying about healing for somebody, and I, was, I, was, I said, Lord, I thank you. Now, listen to this closely. I said, Lord, I thank you that all the healing that I'm praying for right now has already been provided on the cross of Jesus Christ. Now listen, a lot of us get in the moment and we need God to move and we're just panicked because of all the situations. I want you to start going back to the cross. Looking back on my face, what I call it. Going back to the cross. All those guys in the Old Testament were looking to the cross. I read you the part and Peter said we were healed. We were healed, right? So we're looking back to the cross. Your, your healing is here not because you figured something out, but because God hung His Son on a tree and He carried all your sicknesses and diseases. You should have been hanging on that tree. I should have been hanging on that tree. Our sin nailed him to that tree. But I'm going to show you some things that you and I don't think about. When you get ready to be healed or need a move from God in your life, you need to remember the cross. You need, don't look at all the waves around you. That's what will cause you to sink. You need to reflect back on the cross and remember that God punished for all the provision on Mount Moriah, Jehovah Jireh, the same root. God punished His Son in place of us so that we could go free, not only from our sins, but from all the wounds that the enemy tries to put on us. Jesus Christ took our place. I, guess, I want you to think about this. These, the Greek word... Poru, poru, poruo means dulled, callous, unimpressionable, not perceptive. That's where a lot of the church is at. They just go through the motions. Just go to church. I'm with God. I'm just going to go to church. I did my deed. I went to church. And, and if anything happened out of the ordinary, they, they're so callous. They're so callous. We got people in this country that want to take in God we trust off the money. 
In Kentucky, they want to take it off their license plates. All kinds of crazy stuff going on. And God, because we, we put God to the side. We don't believe He's who He said. We keep throwing Him under the bus. He made all the provision you and I need. He made it all. We get dull because we want God to work with microwaves and computers, don't we? We don't want Him to take His time doing nothing. We want to get back to our life because we've done such a good job being the porter of the gate. We want to back out there and let God go sit down and take a rest. That's not how this stuff works. Let's go on. Let me take you to, um, let me take you to Isaiah chapter 53. And this is where we'll close this morning. I'll show you a verse on the screen in just a minute, but we're going to close here. Uh, God, now, what I'm trying to say to you, your, your ability to be healed has already been secured. So when you pray for healing, deliverance, whatever, you have a need that needs to be met, remember, go back to the cross. That's where God secured all that for you and I. It's not about you getting the right slant on it. It's, not, it's, it's going back to the cross. That's how we are delivered. That's how we're free. That's how we get saved. That's how we get healing. Everything we needed was placed on Jesus. And so, in Isaiah 53, let me show you this. Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? There's the first question. Somebody said, that don't work for me. Faith's an, a heart issue. You've got to believe. You've got to believe. You don't just get to go in there and read it. You've got to believe. Believe means you take your life and hang it on it. You consent. Your heart agrees with what the mind has consented to, right? That's just faith, right? Faith, faith, the heart, and it's a verb, so it requires action. Pisteo, hasam, batakano. That means that when we come in to believe something, whatever the mind has recognized, the heart has come in agreement with, and then we take our life and hang it on it. That's Christianity in a nutshell. That's Christianity. So he says, who's going to believe? We'll see. For he shall grow up before him a tender plant and a root out of dry ground and no form of calmness when we see him the beauty that we should, should desire him. He's talking about Jesus. After they beat him half to death, I'm going to say this. The reason he didn't die on the block or after the, all the blood that, poured, that they'd already spilled, poured out of him is because he, he had to give up the ghost. The Bible says sin reigns because, or death reigns because of sin. Jesus didn't have any sin. So he had to give up his own ghost, and he actually says that on the cross. No normal man would have got off that block off that cat of nine tails and been ripped across. Because the theologians believe that Jesus' back was ripped so bad that his organs were like hamburger meat. No normal man could have got up off that tree and walked up the hill with a cross on his back. They'd have died, all of us would have died on the block. He had to give up the ghost, though, because the Bible's clear about death reigns because of sin. He didn't have any sin, so he had to release his own spirit when he got to the cross. And he did that, in fact. The Bible bears that out. So he didn't, he didn't look like, when you saw him, if you didn't know who Jesus was, number one, you would not have known him because he was beaten so badly, blood, crown of thorns in his head, blood fronting down his face, his back shredded like hamburger meat. Some say that his organs were exposed because he had been beaten so badly. Then he's got an old rugged cross on top of that. You, if you didn't know him, you wouldn't know who he was, of course. But if you had have known him, you wouldn't recognize him. You took it all for us. Now, I'll ask you a question. If eternal life's the most important thing in life, if, you, if you're good with living 80 years and whatever happens to you on the other side, that's your business. But if you live here several years and you're concerned about the next side, then eternal life's the most important thing in anybody's life. 
Jesus Christ took all that so we could have eternal life. What is more important than your, in your life than Jesus? Your mom couldn't do that for you. She had sin. You might have had a good mom. Your dad couldn't do that for us. They have sin. You might have had a good dad. Maybe you didn't have any of that. But the Bible says in Psalm 27, when the father and mother forsake you, then the Lord will take you in. He's there. Without sin, without spot or wrinkle, He's the perfect lamb. And He's still the great I Am. Finally, He says, He was despised rejected by men, right? Man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from Him. He was despised and we did not esteem Him. Surely, here's what He did. Just like we read in Psalm 103 this morning. Surely He's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. So you feeling down? You feeling ashamed? You having trouble? He's packed it for you. There's no sense in both of you packing it. When we, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. They thought, if you didn't know him, they thought that he was a sinner. He'd done a lot of bad things the way they treated him. But he didn't have any sin. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Now, the last place, you can put the Matthew up on the board there, I believe it is, Matthew 8 and 17. This is the last scripture I want to go over with you. That Isaiah prophesied that about when Jesus came, that's what would happen. He said, we are healed, right? I read Peter who said, we were healed because the cross is sandwiched in between the prophet and the apostle. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Now, He's made provision for you. He's made healing for us. He's made salvation for us. He's made eternal life for us. He's took away our shame, our guilt, everything. What else do you need? He's took it all. So that's what I want you to think about as I share a story with you, and then I'm going to close. When you get ready to need provision, right, whether it's healing, we, all, we already do this with the cross, don't we? Think about it. When we tell people that you, they need to be born again or saved or redeemed, however you, whatever word you use, when we tell them they need to be forgiven so they can have eternal life, what do we do? We take them straight back to the cross. Amen. So anything else, that's what I'm saying to you this morning, anything else you need, you need to go straight back to the cross. Are you following me? That's what I'm saying. You're, you may be in a moment of, of, of a storm like we sang this morning. I'm going to praise Him in the middle of a storm. You may be in the middle of a storm. But keep your eyes on Jesus. Look back at the cross because that cross secured your healing. That cross secured your forgiveness. That cross secured your eternal life. That cross renewed your mind. That cross healed all your sicknesses and diseases. That's what I'm saying to you. And now God's starting to reveal this to me and I'm praying a little bit different for people to be healed because I'm not counting on what I think or what I see or even my own experience. Now I've been healed a few times as many of you have. The Lord showed up and done some magnificent stuff. But I, I, I still need another healing, and I'm talking to the Lord about that right now. Uh, but I'm changing my approach, and my approach is I'm starting at the cross first. Every time I'm going to God for provision, to the cross. Of course, we already knew this. It's not our years of service or not what kind of group you're in or anything. It's about being, having faith in Jesus Christ and the work He's done, right? We tend to forget that because we let circumstances start crowding us out, start working on that soulish man, right, where our mind and our will and emotions are seated. And we start letting fear come in, like the disciples and all that stuff. We need to keep our focus on the cross. Now, this started when I was in college. I had an ulcer the size of a dime. I was playing basketball. I was an athlete. 
I was in a training room every day. We had all kinds of stuff, you know, access to take care of our bodies because we were on the basketball team at the university. And I got an ulcer and I couldn't get over it. <clears throat> and I was, I, I knew why I got an ulcer because it goes back to my, part of my testimony from years ago that I was running from my calling. Now, I, wouldn't, I didn't tell God I wouldn't preach. I just told him I'd preach later. It kind of blew him off. That don't work, by the way. So I got an ulcer out of that deal because I was in such turmoil inside. I was running from God kind of like Jonah. And uh, so I went to the doctor and they did all, I had to drink that chalk and everything, you know. Uh, he come back and he said, you got an ulcer size of a dime. And he looked at me and he knew, he was a doc, one of the doctors who interacted with the team. And he said, what are you doing with an ulcer? And I just threw my hand up and I said, never mind, I know. I walked out, and I had an ulcer for a couple of months, and I was praying. And at the time, I started preaching on campus to some students, and they were all praying for me. I was getting ready to go preach one night on a Wednesday, and um, as I was getting, I was laying in my bunk praying, trying to get my mind focused on what the Lord wanted me to say, and I was praying. I was hurting, right? I was still hurting. The only relief, if anybody's ever had an ulcer, my family grew up drinking buttermilk to help it, but I don't know what all y'all do, but drink a little buttermilk. And sounds good already, don't it? I just lost the whole audience. All of you got hunger right there. Everybody loves buttermilk and cottage cheese, don't they? Guess not. So, so the only time you can get relief if you have an ulcer is when you put a little food in there. It kind of sells it for a but then 30 minutes later it's back. So over and over. So I'm laying on the bed and I'm praying, and the Lord spoke to me and said, you've, you're, you've, you've already been healed in the spirit realm. He was trying to, he's trying to teach me more of this, I suppose, but it's been a journey for me. And he said, your provision, and he took me back to the cross, said, your, your healing's already done. What you're waiting on is for it to be manifested in the, in the natural. It's already took place in the spiritual realm because my son's already died and carried that for you. Now, I'm, you're waiting on it to be manifested. So there's where the problem's at, right? The cross stands for everything you need's been made. It's happened, right? The problem is that being manifested from the spiritual realm into the natural realm. That's where we struggle because we're human. So I knew, I knew, and the Lord had been training me a lot, and I'd been spending time with that spirit-filled Catholic brother up on top of the mountain. He'd been teaching me how to pray. And he knew the Bible like nobody's business. And I found out why, because he had stacks of index cards laying on his dresser in his bunk room, and he'd just read the Bible all the time. Very smart guy, engineer in the military, and... And he, he took me up, and I really wasn't sure about it first, and he started teaching me how to pray. And the Lord really used all that. And I'm sitting there, and so I'm thinking, I got a chance here to hang my faith on what I just heard the Holy Spirit say to me. So I left my bunk that, afternoon, that evening, actually, and walked across campus to where I was going to preach and, uh, in one of the classrooms. I was still hurting. I got up behind the podium in that classroom, getting ready to preach, and I knew I had a decision to make, to step out on faith or to not. So I stepped out on faith. I, now, notice how I said this. I said, to all, there was a classroom full of students at this point. We'd been doing it a while. I said, listen, the Lord told me that I'd already been healed. And I explained to them what I just explained to you. And I said, so you can stop praying for me to be healed because the Lord already told me I was. Now, that's faith, Right? Now, when I got done preaching, guess what? I was still hurting. 
I walked all the way back across campus to my bunk, got in bed that night, still hurting. Woke up the next morning, gone. Now I was 20, year, 20, year, 20 or 21, I'm 55 now. I know I just looked 32, but I'm 55. <laughs> so what I'm saying to you is we want the event to happen a lot of times before we hang our faith on it. That's not how faith works. And I was taught a valuable lesson. That's the lesson I was taught then. That's all I could see. I was so excited. You know, I'm healed of an ulcer. and been healed for 35 years now. But then God's saying, I want to take you deeper. I want you to understand why it works that way. Are you following me? Because if this were the cross, right, in your mind's eye, then every time you're getting ready to go to God for something, look back at it. Look back at it. Realize all He's done for you to have provision, for you to have salvation, eternal life, healing, deliverance for your life and your world to go well. Look at everything Jesus has done. Remind yourself about the stripes He took. Now, when we're going to have communion before we leave this morning. You know what Jesus told us to do? And I, I wish people understood this, but, and I know a lot of people here love the Word of God, and many of you are in the Bible. I understand that. But I'm concerned about the church at large. This, and you know, and I, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir probably here, but you know what Jesus said to do when we take communion? He didn't say anything about you and I confessing our sins. But that's kind of what communion turned into. You know what He said? This is what He said. I'm going to stick with, with what He said until somebody else rises from the dead and contradicts him. So all you scientists, all you smart people, intellects, I'm sticking with what Jesus said. I don't care what kind of theory you have. You go die and raise from the dead and then we'll talk. Amen. But the Bible says, this is what he says. He says, remember, as you do this, remember my death till I come. Whew. I felt that. Why? Because his death if I can use this as the cross sorry Lord it's the best I got his death is the emblem of everything I need Amen. now do you know why I said we want to look back to the cross now do you know why I said everything you need is in this cross your child need to be born again your child need to be delivered right here is your grandchild strung out in addiction? Right here. He paid for all of it. Somebody you know need their sickness healed? Right here. You got some sins you need forgiven? Right here. You want eternal life? Right here. It's all in Him. In Him, we live and move and have our being. Let's give Him praise this morning. He's worthy. You guys can come to instruments. We're going to get ready and take communion this morning. I want you to remember all that God has done for you. Notice how the battle happens. You guys can stand to your feet. Notice how the battle happens. The battle is everything the Lord's already done, and then the devil comes in with all this new stuff, right? Here's your storm. Now notice this. Jesus knew the storm was coming, or he's not God, right? He put them in the boat anyhow. Amen. 
right? He put them in the boat, put them in the boat, sent them to the other side, even though he knew the storm was coming. So sometimes the Lord allows the storms to come in our life. But guess what? He's going to reveal himself to us in a way we've never seen him when we see the, when we go into that storm. Amen. Ask the three Hebrew boys, was it worth going in the fire to see the fourth man? Ask these disciples, was it worth going in the storm to watch Jesus walk on the water? Their faith went to another level. And that's what he was saying. They did not understand the loaves. And that's what's wrong with the church. We run into a storm. First thing we do is get our cell phone out. Right? Start calling somebody or looking it up. You know, everything's true on the internet. And before you know it, you'll have 47 diseases. And you won't even know who your family tree is by the time they get done with it. Well, here's what he is also saying, and I'm glad I brought that up. You got a family tree that's bigger than the one you were born in. His name's Yeshua. Amen. So here we are. There's probably needs across this congregation. That cross has got you covered. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Well, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be in your presence. There is none like you. We, we have many have searched the whole world over. There's none like you. You are our safe place. You are our shield buckler. You are the shelter that we run to according to the psalmist. But Lord, so many people are running to the other things. They're running to the wrong things. And I just pray, God, that as we focus on you, no matter how many waves are rolling around us, we know that all of the provision we need has been paid for already. All of our sins, all of our sicknesses, all of our diseases, all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our fear has already been carried by you on that cross. No sense in both of us carrying it. So we surrender it to you. As we worship, this altar's open. If you need to be born again, saved, you want to come surrender your life to Jesus, you're not out of place to walk that aisle. We've all walked that aisle. Maybe you need healing in your body. We got, we'll pray for you, anoint you. Maybe you're a prodigal and you've been doing your own thing too long. It's time to come back to God. Whatever it is, this thing ain't going to turn out well if you don't let Him lead. If you're the one doing all the leading. Let Jesus, let the Holy Spirit lead. This altar is open. Will you come?